This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. You just think we just, you know, whatever happens, we just shit another player. Right, and everything's going to be perfect. All of our fans think that. You all think that. That's what you write about. You don't want to be here. There's a specific reason. Not really, you know, I think we did a poor job recruiting. If guys are coming in and immediately walking out the door because it was something different than what they thought it would be. And we lied to them during recruiting or we, we sold them on a dream that wasn't you know, true. Certainly, like I said, coach our kids to, to do the right thing and uh, you know, play with poise, play with confidence, play with dignity, play with class. At the same time, we're not going to take anyone's shit either. We want to be a big, fast, dominating, aggressive, relentless football team that nobody in the SEC wants to play. Now, that's also a second in the West, baby. Yes, sir. <laughs> excited about second. From now on, it's first, okay? All I want to do is fucking eat! I want you to eat! I want you to eat! I want you to want this shit! Do you want it? Do you want it? Show me! But you did it again! Welcome in to the latest episode of That SEC Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton, and I go by SEC Mike on Twitter, and I'm joined, as always, by my cousin Shane, who goes by Big Orange Vols on Twitter. What are you up to, you big Tennessee homer? Hey, buddy, what's going on? Hey, doing good, buddy. Sorry I missed you yesterday, but we were waiting for old Eli Drinkowitz to get his presser in order. These guys, for whatever reason, these new hires, Shane, they didn't all go on the same day. They delayed Drinkowitz. I guess they still had to, they were still looking over that contract. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know how Missouri is. They're typically a day late anyway with this media stuff, so this is perfect. Yeah, so we got it all out here, and that's kind of what this one is going to be about. We got some other stuff around the league, of course, but uh, we're just going to take a deep dive on all these coaches. Shane, you ready to get into some coaching talk? Yeah, buddy. All right, Shane, let's start down here in Oxford, where obviously the biggest splash hire, Lane Kiffin, man, greeted by... By the airport, I mean, thousands of people showing up. He's giving people, handing them their babies. Someone, if, if you've missed it out there, you got to watch this. Uh, someone handed their infant child to Lane Kiffin. I mean, this guy's a damn rock star. If you missed the presser, that's another one. I Each of these have an introductory video and a press conference. I know the press conference can be kind of boring. I stress you, you got to watch the intro video because it's a damn, it was a rock show, Shane. There was about 5,000 people showed up. They were selling half price beers. These fans were liquored up. They're on the lane train, son. <laughs> I love it, man. I'll tell you. And I was a little worried about this because, you know, when Lane was up in Tennessee, he, he was kind of a hermit. You know, there was there was people that would talk to him. He doesn't like to go out in public. He doesn't like to, you know, be seen in the public eye, you know. And and it feels like he's kind of doing better. You know, there I felt I think he felt uncomfortable with the baby. But, uh, you know, other than that, uh, there was no way you're going to keep the fans off of them, though, dude. They were pumped up, man. Now, this is a podcast, obviously, that encourages drinking responsibly and yes. of age. But my thoughts on this, Shane, I wanted to get see what you had to say. I mean, keep in mind, this press conference 
I believe it was around 11 a.m. Oxford time. Mm-hmm. And these fans were damn boozed up, liquored up, ready to go. Good, good old time. I'm not saying everyone was drunk, but it looked like about three quarters of them. And Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I'm trying to think, don't these people got job shade? No, no, this is a holiday, Mike. You, know? you got the lane train on the tarmac, son. You know, I'm just, these guys are pumped up. They, they want something, man. They want... I mean, it's been a long time since Hugh Freeze was down there, and they were relevant. And you know, they it's it's here, man. You know, in their eyes, they they feel like they just man, they put all their chips in the center of the table, and they're all in. So I I love the fan support. They they've been they've been on planes in the skies for a long time, and now the the legend has landed. And uh, yeah, there was no way these people were going to miss this. This was a monumental event. Well, let's get into uh, Kiffin's contract here, Shay. Now, of course, in the state of Mississippi, you cannot have a contract longer than four years. So Lane Kiffin given a four-year deal, and look for them. They're going to extend that thing. You know, as soon as every season's over, they'll they'll extend it. So he'll mm-hmm. he'll always be on a four-year deal unless he's on a hot seat. But just want to make that note: it's uh, 16.2 million total. So he's going to get 3.9 this year, and then every other year he gets an extra hundred thousand. So how how does that compare with other coaches, head coaches? Like what I, I know, I put you on the spot, Mike. You know how you know how I do. And uh, I was just curious though, like like range. Like, are we between this coach and that coach? Or? I got you. Well, it's a good thing for you, Shane. I got a spreadsheet here with uh, every SEC salary, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that would be obviously Chad Morris is gone, but uh, it would be about what he was making. Ed Orgeron, <laughs> who is probably going to be in line for. You know, a raise, I would think. He's sitting right now at $4 million. Uh, Joe Moorhead, he's kind of at the lower of the bottom here, $3.2 million. So Kiffin's getting a little bit more than those guys. But Jeremy Pruitt, 3.8. And then at the okay. top, you know, you got guys like Saban's going to make 9.1. Jimbo, 7.5. Uh, Kirby, smart here at 6.8. So a uh, little bit uh, not at the bottom, but uh, – Fairly mm-hmm. close to the bottom, but I, I think it's for, for Kiffin. It's about proving himself because I think, yeah yeah I think he was on uh, if I'm not mistaken I think he was making about a million and a half at FAU so it's a nice pay bump for him. He sounds good too, man. Like he's been reading some self help books and shit. You know, it just <laughs> he just feels like he you know what I'm saying. Like I, I you know I'm trying to I'm trying to buy in Mike, but you know the Lane Kiffin I know is just you know he's wild. He's uh, he's he's fearless. And I, and I think that's going to show up on the field, you know, but uh, I just I, I love it, man. I love this new lane. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I do, too, Shane. That and that's what this podcast is all about, Shane. It's about positivity. We are fully bought in on these guys. I know, you know, some of the hires when they were made, maybe some of them raised an eyebrow. Definitely not Lane Kiffin, although, you know, you could. There's been plenty of people know, hey, didn't his brother uh, just come off sanctions from there? Yes, he did, but who cares? We're going with the Lane train. (laughs) The way I equate Lane Kiffin right now, Shane, it's like uh, Ole Miss just got a new Ferrari, and they're just testing that bad boy, want to see how damn fast it can go. They're not going in the slow lane. They're kicking it over to the fast lane. Mm -hmm. If they're not careful, it'll crash and burn, but who cares about that right now or down the line? I mean, it's fun right now. And there's no reason if you're an Ole Miss fan not to be fired up. It's like like Cole Trickle and, and Harry just put on those special tires, you know? 
<laughs> exactly. I mean, your team just won four games. They didn't go to a bowl game. They didn't go. They've been on sanctions. No one cares about any of that now. Now we're yeah. we're now we're in the lane train. We're in the fast lane. We're going fast. Things are happening. Yeah. And this is what uh, being an Ole Miss fan's all about. I mean, yeah. they were living fast under Hugh Freeze, and it was the, them against the world. It's going to be them against the world here against Kiffin. And you know, they keep hyping up this staff. He's going to bring out we don't have a lot of details on that uh he said he's going to bring the fau strength coach he confirmed that he's also bringing kevin smith the former uh, central florida running back who was outstanding he's bringing him from fau those are the only two he's bringing so i would imagine kevin smith's going to be his running back coach Mm -hmm. he didn't fully announce that so we're going to have about eight other assistants here in the coming days really looking forward to what lane kiffin does with staff wise uh, but let's kick over to his uh, news conference here, Shane. Let's uh, we're going to kind of break this one up a little bit here because I don't want to go ten minutes here of of just Kiffin quotes. But you know, he was asked some pretty good questions here, and I think the biggest one everyone's got, you know, outside of Oxford is when it comes to Lane Kiffin is maturity. It was obviously not there at Tennessee. It was not there at USC. But this is a new Lane Kiffin, Shane, kind of like you're hitting at. So Lane Kiffin on his maturity on what he picked up from Nick Saban in terms of uh, recruiting and the development there, on his ability to get players to buy in thanks to the achievements he's had in the past, on uh, his willingness to get ripped moving forward in these pressers. I I love that. And then finally here on being back in the SEC. You touched on this a little bit out there, but how do you feel like you are different since USC in terms of off the field, maturity, that sort of thing? Well, that's a very fair question. you know, that when you go through obstacles, you know, that sometimes seem like, you know, really bad things. You know, there's a book, Obstacles the Way by Ryan Holiday, and and he sent me that book, and, and that book really kind of put things in a different light to me. You know, you can have something like the firing of USC that you feel at the time is the end of the world when it happens, you know, and, and are you ever going to get a head coaching job again? And, you know, and you go through, oh, we're on sanctions, all that stuff that you go through, and then... You know, I, I look at that differently now and say, hey, you know what? Had that not happened, I would have never went to go work for Nick Saban. So that obstacle, um, you know, really helped me develop. And so I think going to work with Coach was great from XOs and all that stuff, but really from how he manages the program from top to bottom. And I mentioned it in there. I feel like, you know, I was a head coach before, you know, back to like USC. And I was really the offensive coordinator being the head coach, you know, and developing players, getting them to the NFL and getting a lot of players drafted. And then I really kind of changed and really realized, okay, this is, there's more to it than this. That's not, that's not my calling. You know, God's calling for me wasn't just to get guys drafted and make a bunch of money. It was to develop them off the field and and have relationships with them and help them through things. So um, I feel like there's a lot different that way in player relationship this time around. Um, and I'm not saying today. This has been for the last three years as a head coach. Um, I would like to think those players um, would say that. You were always considered an elite recruiter, but what did you learn about recruiting um, as, as a philosophy for a team in your three years with uh, Coach Saban at Alabama? I think more the NFL model as far as, um, you know, the evaluation, extremely thorough evaluations on kids. A lot of, you know, people, you know, from the head coach to the coordinator, the position coach, like all evaluating grading, a grading system. You know, before, and we recruited great at USC, you know, as assistant with Coach Carroll, and then our first year there, 
even with the sanction, we signed the number one class in the country. I think at one point, you know, it was since it had been Alabama had been on a run, that had been the last team. So, um, but there I felt like it was more okay. We just want these guys and these guys, and we don't want these guys. And and this now is our system is a lot more like an NFL team. And I think now in college football more than ever, it really is like an NFL team because now you have what high school, junior college kids, transfer kids, grad transfer kids, guys leaving your program. So there's basically like free agency in there, and you got to figure out how you're going to manage that, you know, and which ones you're going to take. It didn't used to be like that. There were hardly any transfers. So it used to just be, okay, take high school kids, and the only decision was do you take some junior college kids. So I think, I think it's extremely important to, we talked about before, avoid doing this. Have you met with the team yet? And if not, what's kind of the message you're going to say to those guys to keep some of them here or to kind of get them energized? For yeah, I believe that's our next step here in the next hour or two, I think. Um, so, um, you know, just – you know, a lot of the same things we said in the, in the press conference, just, you know, talking about open competition. Everyone's got a clean slate, you know, whether you're, you know, great play, you know, whether you've been a great player here or you haven't played at all. So, um, you know, and just motivate them. And, and the good thing I think is, you know, not to sound arrogant, but I think they know who we are. They know players we've coached, championships and stuff. So um, that usually makes it a lot easier when you come in and they've already known you've done it and they know players you've coached. And so they say, you know, the receiver says, oh, oh, I remember you coaching Amari Cooper, you know, and, and him winning the Blitnikoff. And so, you know, or you're a running back and they say, oh, I, you know, I saw you, what you did with Derrick Henry and Reggie Bush and two Heismans. So uh, we got a lot of really good things to sell that we have proof of. So we're not saying, hey, this is what it's going to look like but we haven't done it before. It's not how you, it, it doesn't tell you how to coach the way that most coaches coach. The old school way uh, from an analytics standpoint is extremely conservative. You know, there's a, there's so many more times you're supposed to be going for it. You're supposed to not be kicking long field goals and people just punt or they go kick and they don't realize, okay, there's a 6% chance to make that field goal. But as the coach, you say, well, I put him out there and he missed it. You know, I, I did what I was supposed to versus, you know, a lot of coaches are afraid of the press conference afterwards, and so they do the conservative easy thing because then you guys don't rip them. So get ready to rip me. Is that what kind of draws you back here to this point, that competition? This is the highest level. You know, this is the highest level, the best players, the best coaches that you go against. And so if you're competitive, you know, this is what you this is where you want to be. And and had a great experience the last three years and, and in a lot of ways, that was more special than winning national championships. Um, you know, when, when Alabama was over, we were on, I think, a 26-game win streak and won 34 straight at USC. But the experience with those players that weren't going to go to the NFL at Florida Atlantic and they had never won, and then to give them that, you know, that, that was as special as anything. Um, but I still felt like, all right, let's go back to the highest level now that we're really prepared for this better and haven't been the places that we've been going through those obstacles and that's so you know we're in a much better position to win and to do every, to do everything right from top to bottom and not make some of those mistakes that we made 10 years ago at Tennessee all right Shane so you know I was very impressed here with what Kiffin you know all his answers here it's, it's pretty yeah. easy to win the opening presser but he did it and you know, he was faced some tough questions here and I think you know his time at FAU it I know he gets a little crazy on Twitter but I think if anything that's going to make players relate to him more than anything and 
I get crazy on Twitter. You get crazy on Twitter. Like, who cares? Mm-hmm. Like, that's just like, that's almost like a spectacle for being crazy, in my opinion. So yeah. I don't think that's got anything to do with his coaching ability or what he's got going on here at Ole Miss. I think everything he hit on here on his development and wanting to get back in the SEC, get at the highest level of college football, get in that competitive arena. I just, I absolutely loved everything he had to say here. Yeah, and that's what it feels like with Lane. It felt like, you know, dude, he had the dream job. You know, his dream job was USC, you know. He thought he'd never lose it. He thought he'd get over there. They'd be doing statues of him by now, you know. It didn't work out, and – and I think with Bam, it was a humbling experience, man. He just re- – I think when he was down there with Nick Saban, he realized just how far behind the curve he was. And and that's what he needed, you know. He got that, then he did with FAU. And, and I think, you know, when you're listening to him talk now, it just feels like – and, of course, again, this this may – I mean, he's great with words too, you know. I'm not <laughs> saying that he's, he's pulling the wool over our cover or our eyes, but I just – I feel like Lane has – I think he's changed, man. He he sounds like a grown-up, you know, and not a kid anymore. Yeah, and what I get from, you know, he was also asked in this press conference about Mississippi State, and he didn't really, I don't want to say dismiss it, but he just really didn't even go down that road. Mm-hmm. And I think that was something that really came back and bit Hugh Freeze, obviously, in the ass there, with just his the rivalry with Mississippi State and how heated that got, how ugly that got. And I'm not trying to disrespect Mississippi State by this comment, but I think it's accurate. I want to see what you think, Shane. I think Lane Kiffin is not even focused on Mississippi State. I think his focus is on beating Nick Saban, Alabama, and, and winning the damn West. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I yeah. think that bigger picture mentality, that's what Ole Miss fans want. I'm not saying they're going to beat Mississippi State next year. I'm not saying they're going to beat Alabama next year or anything crazy. I'm not saying this team's going undefeated next year, but I just think that's the bigger picture thing where, you know, Lane Kiffin's coming in here and he wants to wreck the SEC. He does not want to wreck the state. Dude, that's exactly what he said. I mean, hell, he talked more about Nick Saban in Alabama than he did Mississippi State. So, yeah, I think he's a bigger picture kind of guy. And honestly, I think he doesn't realize how important this rivalry is, you know. You know, he just moved there. You know, he's in a suit that's not even his. You know what I'm saying? So it's like once he gets the roots in and and he's, you know, he's talking to these, you know, his neighbors every day, you know, he's going to realize how important that rivalry is. But um, you're right. I think he's a bigger picture. They brought him there to compete for the West Championship, not, not to win the state. Now, he also showed a little bit of that humor, a little bit of that gold that we're looking for, for particularly for this podcast Shane he was asked about his tarmac experience there with all the fans thousands of fans like I said if you've not seen the photos you got to run out and check this out I mean I can't think of uh, the last time I don't know Nick Saban maybe when he got hired I know Gene Chizik when he got hired people showed up but it was to damn boo him not to not to treat him like a damn conquering hero Uh, so Kiffin on that he just had a a hilarious comment here and then uh, he was asked about his suit which uh, he said it wasn't even his. It belonged to his agent there, Jimmy Sexton, who showed up for the presser. Lane, Joe Cook, WAPT. I was uh, wondering, you've been a head coach, of course. Talk about the reception you received from the fan, fan base. Did you ever think you'd be kissing and hugging babies at the tarmac when you got off the plane? Um, a lot better than another tarmac experience that I had. <laughs> 
I didn't think of that. It was like, <laughs> like an anniversary or something like that. So um, that was really neat to see. Um, I didn't know people were allowed on the tarmac. <laughs> so, um, but it was, it was pretty cool. I felt like I was in a movie, like all of a sudden they're like closing in on you and we're in and like they got all the lights shining, like they just keep closing and closing in. I'm like, all right, where are we going here? Like, and so like, just get out, it'll be okay. I'm like, okay. And it was awesome. The reception was great. And um, it, it was really neat. You could feel the energy. And from my understanding, it's not real easy to find parking there and stuff. And so, you know, that, that was really neat and special for them to go out of their way to, to do that. And what I was told basically have a tailgate party. <laughs> Lane, you got the right colors on today, suit, tie, shirt, and everything. Did you have all that? Because I know everything moved fast, or did you have to go pick up something on the fly? Uh, there's a lot of stories behind this outfit. Um, <laughs> I had some really good suits, but <clears throat> then I went to Alabama and I gained some weight, so those don't fit anymore. <laughs> um, so this isn't even my suit, but I actually... This is actually Jimmy Sexton's suit, so he's he, he's lost weight, so we're kind of even now. <laughs> All right, Shane, I mean, how great is that? That's kind of what we're looking for from when Lane Kiffin got hired, the Lane train. <laughs> looking for some of these quips here from the coach down there at Ole Miss, but uh, I'm fired up for it. And, you know, speaking of Jimmy Sexton, how he mentioned it there, I think it was very important that uh, Jimmy Sexton went to this, and I'll tell you why, Shane, because – and we'll get a little bit more in Arkansas in just a moment here, but obviously Lane Kiffin had his opportunity to go coach at Arkansas, passed up that opportunity for Ole Miss. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that, I think, really has to do with his super agent, Jimmy Sexton. This guy represents – I think it's I think he lost a couple guys, but he's still down to about nine or ten of the 14 SEC coaches he represents. And he's the reason all these guys got these damn crazy buyouts and they get fired and they're owed $40 million is because that's the way he works them <laughs> into the contract. And like I said, we'll get into Arkansas in a minute, but they were not willing to go down that road of these crazy buyouts. Kiffin even joked in this presser, what a crazy buyout he's got. <laughs> so, you know, if you're an Ole Miss fan, you're going crazy over, you're getting Lane Kiffin. You got Jimmy, Jimmy Sexton to thank for it, I, I'd say. Oh, without a doubt. Hey, Mike, real quick, uh, is what is his buyout? It's not like Sam's, is it? Not. No, that, no, and we'll get to that. I don't know his okay. figures. He just kind of joked about that one, but <laughs> like you're stuck with me. Exactly. So, yeah. So, no, I, I and I think that's that's okay. You know, I, I think at this point you are hook, line, and sinker. You know, you're you have have to be like I said. You're all your chips are in the middle. You. You're selling the dream, and I think that you know you got the good one. You know, I, I really do. I think I think it's a top shelf hire. Now, what what is he able to do? You know, we're going to figure that out shortly. Uh, is he still an ace recruiter? You know, um, I think so. But you know, he's been out of the SEC for a little while. Mm -hmm. he, you know, he he probably hasn't been. I mean, I'm sure he was still calling these five-star athletes up all the time, but he he wasn't getting them down at FAU, you know. So uh, what does he do on the field? It sounds to me like he's going to be a little bit of a gambler, which I like, you know. I don't like a conservative play style. and uh, So I, I think there's going to be, uh, I don't know, it's just going to be an exciting team to watch going forward. Yeah, without a doubt. I'm just I'm really excited to see what he does with staff-wise now. 
I know we had talked about Mike Mike McIntyre, the defensive coordinator, coming back. That was according to the Oxford Eagle, and I don't know if I'm feeling too good about that at this point, Shane, because I've not, you know, I feel like if they were going to retain that guy, they would have announced it by now. Maybe they're busy on the recruiting trail. I know Kiffin said, you know, as soon as we leave here, we're going recruiting. Mm -hmm. Uh, They also had a quarterback in the transfer portal, Grant Tisdale. He pulled his name out. He says he wants, you know, he doesn't know Kiffin, but he knows the reputation, so he's sticking around. So there you go. He's already getting players to return to campus. Now, they did have a quarterback just before we hopped off on here, a four-star quarterback decommit. And obviously, you know, the Rich Rod system, a lot different than Lane Kiffin's system. So it's probably something to do with that. Uh, I'm not saying they're not going to not get that kid, but certainly, you know, we're just – we're a little over a week away from the early signing period, and a kid decommits, de- so he's probably not going to go there. Lane Kiffin probably eyeing some other prospects, but yeah, it's tough, man. Really interested to see where this goes, and uh, like I said, I'm I'm fired up for it, and I, they're in the fast lane, and I just can't wait to see how this plays out. Absolutely, and I'm telling you, man, this early signing day is fantastic if you got an established coach, but it is really hard <laughs> with a new hire. You know what I'm saying? Because a lot of them are signing early. Mm-hmm. You're, I mean, the main thing Lane can do is convince some of these kids not to sign and at least give him some time, you know? I think that's the key for all these coaches, and I really think that's why we're seeing a lot of these guys that have been coaching for two years, you know, they're really struggling. Guys in Nebraska, the guy at Florida State's already fired. Uh, UCLA, Chip Kelly's struggling. Jeremy Pruitt really struggling until, you know, they caught fire there at the end. So this may be something that we see moving forward. I mean, this early signing day may have kind of just made it really tough for a lot of these coaches moving forward when they get hired in, you know, two weeks before the signing period. Yeah. All right, Shane, so let's kick it down to Fayetteville. Woo pig! Where, obviously... You know, we kind of hit on it. Sam Pittman, the ultimate question mark here. My man, I was I, – I love Sam Pittman, offensive line coach. I love Sam Pittman, the recruiter. I mean, I don't know if there's anyone better. But head coach, wasn't seeing it. Now I'm fully on board, Shane. This is the man <laughs> for the job. I mean, you can't get much uh-uh. opposite from Chad Morris. And that's uh, – I think I've said it before. I'm not a big fan of – you know, we had an offensive guy, so we got to get a defensive guy. Or we had a defensive guy, so we got to get an offensive guy. Like, you don't you don't have to just go the opposite. But the thing with Sam Pittman, he's been in the SEC so damn long. He's been all over the nation. You just see when he got hired. I mean, you got players from all across the country saying, you know, they're just so fired up for Sam Pittman. Everybody loves this damn guy. Yeah. Now, can he be a head coach? I don't see why not, Shane. I mean, talk about he's not the first Obviously, he was not their first choice. I don't know how far down the list he was. It doesn't really matter. But I'll give you a couple other names, Shane, that weren't the first choice. Pete Carroll at USC, Mm -hmm. Ed Orgeron at LSU, Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee, hell, even Dan Mullen at Florida. These guys were not the first choice. The list goes on and on. I'm not saying this this guy's the next one of them, but just because a guy's not your first choice doesn't mean he's not going to work out. So, Mm mm-hmm. More than anything, more than these other two coaches, it's going to be paramount that Sam Pittman hires the right staff around him, particularly at the coordinator positions, obviously, because he's going to be turning it over to people that, uh, you know, I wouldn't imagine Sam Pittman's going to be calling plays or anything. So he has got to go the route of LSU, the route of Dabo Sweeney, 
circle him with the elite coach. If Arkansas does that, I think they're going to be all right here, Shane. And one of the biggest things I like with Sam Pittman, let's talk about his contract here. He's given a five-year contract, $3 million a year. So, you know, it's going to be in the bottom tier. But I think that was smart by Arkansas. You don't want to give this guy a ton of money with, you know, not knowing if he can handle it as a head coach. But that's going to give him plenty of money to build his assistant pool. So I like that. Mm -hmm. And how about this, Shane? Any time during this five-year period, if Sam Pittman leads Arkansas to a bowl game, he gets an automatic one-year extension. So it's similar to that Mark Stoops contract. If he does it again, he leads him to another bowl during the five-year period. He gets a second one-year extension. So I, you know, as long as things go right here, Sam Pittman, really, he's got a seven-year contract. I really like the Razorbacks did that. And then uh, we'll get into his buyout here a little bit later. Hunter Juracic talked about it, but I thought it was really fascinating that he, you know, they're going a different route here. And if Sam Pittman gets fired and he's not won half his games, he only gets half his money. If he wins well, over. I think, is there any way, we, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but is there any way we can play his clip too? Because I think it's important because it's, this is very unique, you know, the way his buyout set up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, let's okay. Let's go there first. Let's go to Hunter Juracic talking about uh, finding a coach that he that wanted this challenge of leading the Arkansas Razorbacks, and then he'll get into this buyout talk because this is fascinating stuff here. Of course, I mean I think people see this as a daunting task, and some people are just not cut out for it. Um, We're at the bottom of the toughest football conference in the country right now. And we've got to fight our way out. And you need somebody that wants to get in that trenches and fight. And not all head coaches are cut out uh, to have that type of task. And some knew they weren't cut out for it. Um, some that you have to do some research and, and find out for yourself that they're probably not cut out for that. So um, absolutely, it's a challenge. But it's a challenge that I think Coach Pittman is definitively up for and wants. Hunter, the buyout language on this seems to be trending toward a direction you'd like to see. Can you just talk about the negotiation there? and? You know, are you on the on you on the front line of something here? Yeah. Well, you know, um, I, I said from day one at my press conference that I don't think um, that we should pay a full buyout uh, for coaches who are not successful in the role that we hire them for. Um, Coach Pittman is an old-school football coach, and uh, he shared that principle with me. Um, and he had absolutely no concerns uh, for a contract that I think provides really good protection from him. You know, that buyout is if um, I let him go for convenience and he's won less than half of his games, then he gets 50% of the remaining salary. If I fire him for convenience and he's won more than 50%, that's he gets 75% of his remaining salary. He thought that was really fair. Uh, we've got to stop in this industry, these huge buyouts of multi-million dollar contracts uh, that we're providing to coaches. Coaches deserve some security, but boy, um, we have let some coaches go. Um, and if you look back at their Southeastern Conference records, uh, we have paid significantly, significantly for um, unsuccessful tenures as with head football coaches. And I was glad that Coach Pittman was willing to join me and help change that narrative. And maybe this is just the start of something across the country. All right, Shane, so there it is from Hunter Juracic, the buyout in particular. I thought that was interesting, and I really wish more ADs would take this approach, but I think you may have seen that. That's maybe why it's so difficult in this coaching search, because when you're dealing with a guy, I hit on it with Lane Kiffin, Jimmy Sexton. You got Jimmy Sexton on the line, and you're saying, hey, yeah. we, you know, we want this kind of structured buyout to where 
you know, we're tired of paying all your damn clients all this money for doing nothing but losing. And then he probably turns around and says, to hell with you. I got Ole Miss on the line. They'll, they'll give me whatever the hell I want. <laughs> that's where we're going. And, you know, I guarantee you that's what happened. I mean, that's, there's no yeah. two ways about it. Sam Pittman, his agent is uh, a local Arkansas, I believe she's a lawyer or, or businesswoman or something. And I would say she was instrumental in getting Sam Pittman this job. So I'm not discrediting her, but you're talking that businesswoman and you're talking the damn agent that represents, like I said, 10 coaches in the SEC, several around the nation. I mean, this guy's got a ton of power in college football. So I think that played a part, and that's kind of the tricky business Hunter Yurichich got into here when he says, you know, we have to change this buyout structure. It's getting ridiculous. He's dead on. He is dead on, in my opinion. But at the same time, you going out on the limb and being the first one to do that, that's how you end up with a head coach that uh, has never done it before, in my opinion. It's, it's boy, it's tricky, buddy. It is. It's a risky business, and and that's exactly what happened. They, you know, they they threw something at Lane, you know, and it may be other names that we don't know about, and probably had similar clauses. Maybe not as extreme as as Pittman here, because I honestly think Sam wasn't the first choice, mm-hmm. but you know, he was, you know, in the the next rung of, of coaches that they were willing to send an offer to and, and Sam took the job, but it, man, it's, it's a crazy buyout scenario. And I I like the idea. Don't get me wrong, man. When, when I'm seeing Butch Jones get cut a check for over $200,000 a year or a month, you know, Mm -hmm. it, it crushes my soul and to see him down there as a, as a grad assistant, not getting a damn job, you know, it's like <laughs> you damn dead beat, go get a job. You know, I thought you're supposed to be doing some interviewing. So, so yeah, I think I, I agree, but I mean, you're talking about changing. I mean, you're changing the script. You're changing how, how college football coaches work and, for the longest time, you know, it's an agent run business. And if you turn it around and let the, the, the campuses, let the universities run this thing, you know, it's, it's, it could get a little, a little tricky. I like the fact that it's, um, that it has these incentives. You'd see a lot of this, like with the pros, you know, if you get so many yards or so many touchdowns or so many sacks, you, you get a bump in your pay. And, and I like, coaches having the similar thing so i'm all for this man not to mention they're on the hook for morris's contract and and all those assistants as well so you know this was a smart route this was a financial move and and you're gonna hear it in these next few clips man sam is all arkansas and if he does well which i hope he does uh you know he's one of these coaches that you could see being down here for a decade you know yeah, and doesn't that give you some added confidence if you're a Razorback fan, Shane, that this is a guy that had no issue signing off on something like this? Like, he's betting on himself. Absolutely. He wanted this job. He fought for this job. Apparently, he reached out immediately as soon as Chad Morris was let go, and I don't know how serious they took him at the time. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. They got the guy that wanted the job, that wanted to be in Arkansas, wanted to be a head coach. And these players are going to love him, and he's going to do big things on the recruiting trail. I mean, I'm looking forward to it. He's already stolen, Shane, the Missouri offensive line coach. I mean, he, he just, just like that, he got one of the guys <laughs> he wanted. So, 
you know, we didn't see, we're not seeing Kiffin do that. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Now, again, I'm not comparing Kiffin's head coaching resume to Sam Pittman or anything, but that's the power that, that you get when you get an established guy like this that everyone loves and respects. I mean, he makes a phone call, he gets his, the man, and he's trying to get some other guys. But like I said, obviously this com- is all compounded by the fact that I believe they've got till Sunday to meet with recruits. And then until after that, they then it goes back to the silent period. So yeah. these coaches, and as soon as he you know got done with all this media obligation, he's out there. He's meeting with everyone that's committed to Arkansas. He's trying to get kids from in the state that are committed elsewhere to give him a shot. So there's a lot of work to be done. So don't look for any of these staffs to come together too quickly. Maybe by the end of the weekend we'll start to have some resolution there. Probably not till the early signing period is over, but you know a yeah. lot a lot to watch there. But uh, let's kick it over here to Sam Pittman, Shane. Now, we're going to talk a lot of Pittman here because he had a lot of gold here, but uh, let's just start with the X's and O, the football stuff, Shane, on what kind of offense Sam Pittman wants to run here in Fayetteville, on how he'll have to adapt as re- recruiting as a head coach as opposed to assistants. It's a very different thing. There's a different set of rules for head coaches and assistants. And then this should be music to Razorback fans' ears on how his team is going to be tough and how he's going to prepare them for the SEC. You spoke in the room over there a little bit about style, but what can you say about the offensive velocity you want to run? And we know you can recruit the big guys, but you got Traylon Burks, Trey Knox, pretty pretty boys. How how, how are those guys going to operate this year? Well, you know, if you look at – the RPO game with the ability for your quarterback to run and or throw. Um, you know, nowadays, if you get big, big, if you're going 12 plus, you go 12, 22, 21 plus in this league, you better have, you better have the real deal now because they're going to have guys with 320, 330 pounds on the other side. So, uh, I'm not telling you that the philosophy has gone to spread because that's a lie. But I think you do have to have an edge covered. But I don't think you can just turn around down and down and hand the ball off to the tailback and say, hey, let's go sick them. You might be able to do it in the third and fourth quarter. But So what we want is we want to be versatile. We want. I love the RPO game. I like the quarterback read game. And I like 11, which one tight end, three wideouts. And um, I like to uh, throw the flash screens and different things of that 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 is into the RPO system. Again, when I was here the first time at Arkansas, we we played bully ball. And it worked for us um, at times, and sometimes it didn't. It's like football. I think there's a time to bully people as well, but um, you better have the guys or you're going to try to bully somebody. So right now... It'd be more of a pin and pull, more of an RPO system. Things where we can get angles and blocking and edges as fast as we can with either read style or pulling linemen to get out there. Uh, Richard Amport, Arkansas Democrat. Is that welcome back, Coach? Hello, Richard. Uh, talk about the difference between being an assistant and, co- and recruiting now being the head coach in recruiting. Obviously, you're probably more of a closer, I would assume. But how do you how do you uh, What's going to be the big difference? Or will there be much of a difference? Uh, yeah, I think it will be different, Richard. You know, I was on the phone with kids today, 
you know, this morning we got up and visited uh, and coaches in the state of Arkansas. Uh, I think the difference is, is I'm not, me personally, it's going to be hard for me to have the relationships with these kids as closely as I did if I'm the, well, it only makes sense. If I can go out seven times and the head coach can go out one time, Someone should have a better relationship, should know the family better. Now, there's always phone and text messages and all that, and we'll certainly do a lot of that. But I would think I'm going to lose a little bit of that. What you try to do in recruiting is you try to get so tight to them they can't tell you no. That's the bottom line. So, yeah, I might lose a little bit of that, but that's all right. I'm going to have hire great coaches that can can get them on campus, and the more you get them on, the better we're going to be. But, yeah, I think it'll affect a little bit. I do. Hey, Coach, congrats. JB92 won the ticket. How are you? Thank you. So, biggest question for me, I guess, would be you talked a little bit there a few minutes ago about watching the program struggle and keeping an eye on it. And obviously that was, I'm sure, emotional for you from afar. What are a couple of the biggest things you think you can do right away to get the momentum going for this program again? Uh, we can breathe confidence, belief, work ethic from us as a staff, communication to our players. And you ever seen a program that was – was pretty good, not too bad. And then they started listening to Twitter or looking at Twitter and listening to the TV, and the next day you know they go like this. Same way we're recruiting. It's the same thing. Look, you can't be any good at anything if you don't believe you are. I mean, you can't. And we have to breathe life into it's not that drastic. I don't mean that. But we have to hire a staff that believes in our players in the program. And then we all go out there and communicate to our players. And it's about hard work. It's about toughness. It's about all these things. But the number one thing we had to do is get our players to believe that we can go win. You just touched on a little bit of this, but the difference between being an assistant coach and a head coach and, and what's your role do you see in to be able to to instill toughness and practice and what type of practices will you have? Well, they're going to be physical. They're going to be fast. There's going to be some time in there where we – walk through some situations. Uh, there are a lot of ways to learn. Uh, but it's hard if you're not tough every day to continue to be tough. And so we have to instill fight and toughness in our program. And I'm not telling you it wasn't there. I'm not saying that. I'm saying my belief, our belief, is that we're a hard-working, hard blue-collar, tough, sick'em football team. And the only way you can do that is go do it. Like you want to throw the ball well, throw the ball. You want to run the ball well, practice it. You want to be tough, go be tough. We're going to pride ourselves on our toughness. 
All right, Shane. So that I mean, like I said, I just loved what he had to say here. Oh, yeah. You could tell he's uh, obviously not too you know accustomed to speaking in front of a big room like this in front of a mic, but I think he'll have this down before long too. I mean, Coach O didn't have it overnight either, but you just really see he's speaking from the heart. He's telling it like it is. And uh, if this if you're an old school Arkansas fan, this is what you want to be hearing. Oh yeah, man. I mean. You think about it. Back in the day, Arkansas had that big old line. I mean, that's where you think about old school Arkansas football in their prime. You think about the trenches, man. And I think Sam's perfect for that. You know, he is a, a an excellent, excellent recruiter. And the more you list him, I mean, you could tell he's a little nervous. I mean, it's probably been a while since so many cameras and mics have been up in his face. You know, <laughs> to go from a line coach to the head coach is a big a big step. And I, I think, you know, once he gets comfortable with that, uh, I think, I mean, we're, he's going to be, man, he's going to be gold. <laughs> I mean, some of the stuff that's going to come out of that man's mouth, I'm looking forward to it because he speaks from the heart and he's uh, like, I told you on the, the last podcast, man, he's a, he's such a likable person. He just draws you into him. And that's why I think he's going to have no problems getting that support staff around him you know he's probably got a pretty nice little short list and and these guys like he said he had 500 text messages a lot of them were coaches reaching out to him you know so i'm sure he's he's got his pick of the litter and he's 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 gonna fill up a nice little staff there at arkansas well speaking of some of that color shane let's kick it back to sam Pittman. this is uh kind of just some of his more humorous takes here during his first presser on an offensive line coach finally getting a head job on his wife nearly leaving to him <laughs> when he left Arkansas the first time, on how he fell in love with football, and then on his first experience with the uh, Arkansas Razorbacks coming as a as a youngster coming to camp here. This kind of reminded me of a Cousin Shane story. Um, hey, you've been a, an offensive line coach, a great yeah. offensive line coach for a long time, but it's not often that offensive line coaches get head coaching jobs in the SEC. What? Were you wondering this opportunity would ever come? How long have you wanted to be a head coach and to get it here? Um, I mean, what what does that mean to you? I will say, it, I like that question, by the way. Um, you, again, it's kind of amazing to me that all us old O-line coaches kind of hang together, you know. So when I got the job, I had a bunch of those 500 texts were from guys in the Big 12, guys in the SEC saying, finally, one of us broke through to get a head coaching job. And they were so excited about it. How you doing, man? Doing great. Hey, I had a question about just obviously your love for Arkansas. And if you could expand on the fact that you mentioned up there your conversation with your wife and how she was the first six-star you ever recruited. Man. What were your conversations like with her? Huh? What were your conversations like with her about coming back here potentially and and how it all played out? Well, I I went from the doghouse to the penthouse pretty fast. Um, You know, Jamie's from Pittsburgh, Kansas, and we did not get a divorce when we left Arkansas for a year, but – she did not talk to me for a year when I was in Athens. She just loved Arkansas. She was like me. Um, and uh, when the opportunity came to come back, she was ecstatic, and she's still that way, and honestly, so am I. But it's hard to explain 
the passion that you have for a program, and it's a lot easier to show it. And um, when I was up there, I mean, I, nobody wants to cry or tear up or anything else, but man, if that's how you feel about it, then more power to it. And that's how I feel, and that's how she feels, so. Uh, Coach Pittman, what was your first exposure to the game of football, and what about it uh, did you love? Well, are you talking about real playing or back in a yard? My brother had a Los Angeles Rams helmet, and we were in the backyard, and my brother's nine years older than me, and I think I was about five. And he'd punt it to me and then come, you know, knock me out. And I don't know why I thought that was fun, but it seemed to be that way. And then I started playing football in sixth grade, fifth grade. And I was a fullback back then. I was built a little bit better then, sixth grade. And I got hit coming out in the flat. Guy knocked the air out of me. And that would be the end of that. And I went to old line, you know. Um, but... Seventy-nine, I guess. I think that's forty years ago. I never was very good at math. But what what led you to come over here to camp? Um, and could you ever imagine forty years later you'd you'd be the head coach? Here? No. I mean, who could? Especially whenever I was running that four-eight out there, and they were like, "Hey, uh, uh, Pittman, you go over to this line right here. That's the line where they ain't gonna look at you no more." <laughs> so like, okay, here you go over here. You go, uh, you over there, and there I sit. Me and this other dude over there. And I go, we ain't never getting looked at. So why I loved it, I don't know. All right, Shane. So, I mean, just listen to stuff like that. I, <laughs> I just don't see how anyone cannot love this guy. Yes, I mean, it's still a huge question mark what he's going to do on the field. But I just keep hammering home. This guy wants to be here. He knows what he's doing on in the trenches. That's where Arkansas has struggled for years since the, since he left. I mean, years ago. <laughs> but this guy is going to get that corrected, and you know, there's still there's a lot of mystery around him. But I'm just as eager as I am to see what Lane Kiffin does going in the fast lane. I'm eager to see what Sam Pittman's going to do down here in the trenches and just kind of muck up the SEC West. See if he can do it a little bit differently. Absolutely, I I really am, and I mean, he's just. Man, he was just looking for a break. He was looking for an opportunity, and he's got it. And who knows? I mean, he may change. I mean, you don't see this. This is uh, this is unheard of to have a offensive line coach become a head coach with no experience. I mean, that doesn't happen these days. And I'm looking forward to it because I think if it works, it could open up doors for some of these other guys. You know, we talk a lot about Brady down in LSU. We're like, oh, he's just too young. He's never had the opportunity. You know, it's, he's going to have to learn. And, you know, if you have a position coach or something like that, who knows what other doors may open up in the future? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's some good insight there, Shane, because sometimes it seems like schools are really eager to trot out these, like, retread guys. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, that's not to say someone can't have a lot more success in their second or third stops or anything and they shouldn't be given shots, but maybe people deserve a lot more first shots just to really see what they can do. You know what? Yep. Last thing here quickly with Arkansas, Shane. So Jeff Trailer, the running back coach, he left. He's going to be the head coach at UTSA. And then he's taken Barry Lunny, the uh, tight end 
coach and uh-huh. former interim who it looked like he was going to stay on here potentially at Arkansas. He's very, very close to Pittman. He's leaving to be the offensive coordinator at UTSA, so they both left together. And I got a feeling, Shane, because you know Pittman was asked about Lunny. He said, you know, I love that guy, but you, that's really a question for him. And reading between the lines here, Shane, I think what this job really came down to, I think it came down to Sam Pittman or Barry Lunny. And I think Lunny's probably just – now I'm speaking for him. I'm not – no one's told me this, but I think, you know, he kind of got his heart broken here, probably wanted the job, and just kind of felt like it was time for him to move on and kind of prove himself a little bit elsewhere uh, because I think he had he really thought he had a shot here to win this job. And otherwise, I think he would have stayed on with his buddy here. And, and you know, he, I know this guy bleeds red, but, you know, when you get passed up like that, I, I can't blame the guy for wanting to try something new. Absolutely. And, you, again, we don't know what he was offered. I mean, Sam may be wanting to keep him at tight end. And, right. You know, here he has an opportunity to be an offensive coordinator. I mean, that's, uh, that's we just talked about it. It's so rare to go from a uh, like a tight end coach to a head coach, but it's uh, easier if you're an offensive coordinator at some other school for a little bit. So I, I just think that that's better for his career. And, Again, we don't know what happened behind doors, but I'm pretty sure Sam would have tried to keep him at, at, you know, doing something there at the university. All right, Shane, let's kick it down to Columbia, Missouri. M-I-Z! Where Eli Drinkowitz announced as the head coach of Missouri, Shane, and he's got some big goals for the Tigers. We must point our passion in the right way, and we're going to unify our purpose. Our purpose is to win, make no mistake about it, but it's to win the right way. And our goal, our stated goal, is going to be to win the Sunbelt, sorry, to win the SEC East, a bowl game with class, integrity, and academic excellence. And Jim's exactly right, I just did that. Oh, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Whoops. (laughs) He just won the Sunbelt. If you could could hear it there, that was Jim Sturrock yelling, you just did that, Uh, so. Obviously, Eli Drinkowitz came from uh, Appy State, won the Sun Belt Championship there over the weekend, and he damn recycled his speech from when he got hired this time a year ago, Shane. I just thought that was hilarious. Now, you know, obviously I made fun of him on that for Twitter. You're going to make fun of anybody that does that in their first big moment here in the SEC, but just a slight slip up here. But, Shane, this guy's making $4 million, so more than either of these two, six-year deal. I mean, he's making the same as Ed Orgeron. This guy's coached for one year as a head coach. This is a this is a tricky one, Shane. But I'm gonna look. Yeah. I'm gonna read you down some of his resume. Now, obviously, he's only been a head coach for one year, but he's been an outstanding assistant, Shane. He started at Auburn, 2010. Then went 14 and 0. The next year, 8 and 5 at Auburn. Then he went to Arkansas State, 10 and 3, 8 and 5. Then he ships over to Boise State, 12 and 2, 9 and 4. Then he goes to NC State, seven and six, nine and four, nine and four. Last year, twelve and one. This guy has never been on a team with a losing record, and all those teams are offensive teams. So, I mean, this guy might be just like a damn genius or something of offensive football. So, if I'm a I'm a Missouri fan, I don't want to say this is a hell mary because this guy just went twelve and one at a very solid G five school, and you know he didn't wreck what he inherited, but. This is certainly a gamble for the commitment you're making here with this money, but hell, I'm pretty fired up that uh, 
this guy could be, you know, a game changer for the Tigers. And we'll get into what he has to say here. But I think he's making some some bold moves here with his defensive staff. And uh, I thought he really came across well outside of that just that minor blip there. Dude, I'm telling you, I listened to this one too. And first thing I did when he said Sunbelt and then you sent out that tweet, I was like, is this identical? So I found the old lap state, you know, uh, introduction and, and no, it wasn't. But there was that one segment he did say identical, almost verbatim. Uh, so I was like, oh, dang, I see what he's saying now. But, you know, I'm telling you, this guy's slick, man. This is a guy that this isn't this. I don't think this is too big for him. Um, he sounded great up there, you know, out of all the coaches, as far as, as far as just confidence and their offense and just the scheme moving forward, I feel more confidence with this guy than I do Lane or Sam, you know, I mean, we don't know what Sam's going to do. We, I mean, we kind of know what Lane's going to put out there, but you know, this guy has he's already breaking it down what he wants and what he expects. And I, I think he's gonna hit the ground running. And that's something he's like you said, he's been able to do. But now what concerns me is, you know, he's not done it with his talent, he's done it with talent that's already there. So does he have what it takes to build a program up, you know, or can he just do it with the pieces he already has? You know what this guy kind of reminds me of? After watching his pressers, like you know, when you when you're in high school, we all thought we were cool, and we get you know you got your backpack like slung over your shoulder, just one strap, you, one yeah. one strap in it, like everybody sagging your pants, you know, you're 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 just you were the man back then, and you come in and you take your test, and if it's a good day, you got a C plus, and you're like sweet, <laughs> nailed it. You sit next to you come in though, and this guy's got his damn protractor. He's got his pencil. He's got his yeah. sharpener. He's got you know all his stuff laid out like a nerd. And then he gets the test. He's done uh-huh. in twenty minutes before everybody. He gets a hundred. That's that's Drinkwitz here. I mean, he just seems like a sharp, <laughs> sharp dude's got his stuff organized. He was ready for a detailed answer for everything he got. And I yeah. love the fact that you know the only thing I knew about this guy really was that uh, he worked under Gus Malzahn. And I was like, oh, God, okay, he's running the Gus Malzahn offense that, you know, it was really good, you know, five years ago, but it, it just doesn't seem like it's doing much anymore. And he quickly noted, hey, I worked with him, you know, X amount of years ago, and then I started working with this other guy, the guy that runs Boise State to all their success now, and I've, I've mended those offenses together. So, I mean, I've diverged from Gus Malzahn long ago, and I that – was music to my ears because that's, mm-hmm. that's not obviously Gus Malzahn is still still a good coach. I mean, hell, he just beat Alabama, so I'm not I'm not trying to trash the guy, but you I don't think it would be wise for Missouri to just run the Gus Malzahn system. I mean, they're getting a variation of it that's mixed with other things. Uh, that is, it sounds like more precise, more pinpoint, not as just Gus Malzahn's offense is really really dependent on having an elite offensive line. Otherwise, I don't think it really works that well, but. The way yeah. he's designed this thing, you know, at Appalachian State, at North Carolina State, that's not how they were building the offenses, yet they were still successful. So, I don't know. I was just really impressed with this guy, and if he can get a signal caller in there, I don't know if there's anybody on the roster that's going to fit. We're going to get into what he's looking for for a quarterback here, but if he can find that guy relatively quickly, I think Missouri is going to be a dangerous team here. 
you know, man, the, the guy's an X and O guy, you know, and, you know, he has, I've watched, I, I, it's crazy, but I've watched two App State games this year and, um, and I didn't seek them out, but I just, they happened to be on TV, I had the South Carolina game. And then, uh, I watched this, uh, this last one that they played, not, not a lot, but you know, mm-hmm. Just because I knew there's a chance he was coming over, and the offense, man, it's it's like I don't know, man. There's so many moving pieces, you know what I'm saying? It's it's going to take a while for maybe these kids to grab on, but he does. You're right, he does everything for a reason, and uh, he just I don't know. I I I think this is good for Mizzou. I really do. I, I think that this offense that they're going to be running, it's it's exciting. Um, you know, it's going to be something different than obviously what you've been seeing the last few years with Dooley. Um, I, I think it takes major steps forward. It's just how does this how does this staff react? I mean, he's still got to get a staff himself. He's mm-hmm. still got to you know he's got to rally the troops that are on the team already. And um, how does he do with recruiting? That's my big one, but. I'm thinking X and O's hit the ground running. This guy has more potential than the other two coaches right now just for what he has already on his roster. Well, let's kick it over to him, Shane. Uh, he talks about his why he chose Missouri on making the jump from the Sun Belt to the SEC, what he's uh, looking for in a defensive coordinator, and then what his offense and what he looks for in a quarterback. What, what put this place over the top was the leadership's commitment um, – to the football program and their vision for what they're trying to do matched our vision. And I felt there was a synergy within that. And I felt like that was something that I really could be a part of. And when the uh, president of the university system and the chancellor and the athletics director show up, you know they're serious about you. And, um, you know, talk is talk, but actions, you know, actions show you where things are really aligned. And they were aligned in the right way. And, um, you know, Appalachian State was a special place. And those players, uh, I owe them a un- amount, a, 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 an unpayable debt of gratitude for all that they did for me and my family. And I, I would be remiss not to thank them in that place. But this opportunity was an opportunity of a lifetime. And it wasn't just another job. It was an opportunity of a lifetime. And I preach all the time that, if an opportunity presents itself, you have to be bold enough to take it. And at that point, I felt like, all right, this is the right one for me with the right people, with the right support, and I firmly believe that we can do great things together. There have been people who say, golly, jumping from uh, the Sun Belt one year as a head coach into the SEC, what's that going to be like? I'll ask you, have you talked to Coach Malzahn? What's it going to be like? What do you expect? They ought to try to jump from a head seventh grade coach to SEC because that's where I started. And uh, like I said earlier, I don't feel fear failure. I attack success. And no matter where my family and I have been in coaching, we've been able to rise to the occasion, to compete, to do it better than it's ever been done before. And so when we surround ourselves with the right people, when the players and I get on the same page about what our mission is going to be moving forward, I have no doubts that we'll be successful at all. I have spoken with Coach Malzahn. Um, he is fired up for me. He sent me a text this morning, said enjoy it. Um, so he's obviously been a great mentor to me, and um, he, he knows what he's doing, and so do I. 
specifically on the defensive side of the ball. We're going to be multiple. Like I said, it all starts with stopping the run. You have to make a team um, play to their deficiencies, not allow them to play to their strengths. So we've got to stop the run. Um, and then we've got to – it's a quarterback-driven game. We have to confuse, harass, and hit the quarterback. Uh, we are not going to be able to allow him to stay back there. So if we can get pressure with four and, and accomplish that, great. If we can't, then we've got to bring more. So it's, it's not necessarily I'm going to be um, dogmatic in saying it's got to be a four-down front or a three-down front. It's about how can we get these things done? How can we stop the run? How can we confuse, harass, and hit the quarterback? That may be coverage variation. That may be through pressure. That may be through um, a, a multitude of things. But the most important thing and the thing that I think sets up, uh, sets up championship defenses is tackling and turnovers. We are going to be a team that tackles well and creates turnovers. And, and that's what uh, our defensive coordinator is going to bring to the table. Thank you again. Matt McFarland of the KCOU uh, Columbia radio station. You mentioned you're going to run a quarterback-driven offense. What's kind of the perfect quarterback for your system? I look for five characteristics in a quarterback, toughness, preparation, decision-making, accuracy, and leadership. Those five requirements don't, don't fit in a box. Uh, leaders come in all shapes and sizes. Quarterbacks come in all shapes and sizes. But I think the great quarterbacks possess those five things, a mental and physical toughness, the willing to prepare, uh, the willing to make or, or make being a great decision-maker that you can trust with a ball in his hands, a guy who's accurate throwing the football, and, and a guy who everybody wants to gravitate to. So. There is no perfect answer for what a quarterback is going to look like. But I do know that if he possesses those five, five characteristics, then he can play quarterback for me. Coach, we're going right back here in row number four. We've got about three more questions. Hey, Coach. Kevin Grayler with the Columbia Daily Tribune. What is a realistic expectation you have going into your first season at Mizzou as far as how the first year goes? What would you view as a step forward for the program in year one? I, uh, Matt Antonick from Rocky M Nation. Coach, uh, you worked with Gus Malzahn at a couple stops in your career. Uh, can you talk about his influence on you and the evolution of your offensive philosophy? Yeah, absolutely. So I first uh, interacted with Coach Malzahn in 2004 when he was the um, head coach at Springdale, Arkansas, Springdale High School. And that's where I first you know, got introduced to the hurry up, no huddle approach and spread offense. Uh, was able to reconnect with him in 2010 and 2011 at Auburn and then spent a year with him in, in 2013 at Arkansas State. And so um, have a good grasp of his offensive philosophies. Where Coach Malzahn and I separated, that's when my personal growth began because Brian Harson came to Arkansas State. He came from Texas. And we were able to blend our offensive identities, the, the philosophy of no huddle attack with multiple personnels, shifts, motions, pro-style concepts. And that's really where this offense began to take root and became my own. And that's really where it's grown from. And so that, that's kind of how that transition occurred. Um, and, you know, Coach Malzahn and I actually got together this past summer and, and talked. And there was, I think there was some surprise on both sides about how far, you know, we both evolved from those points together. But we still have that foundation uh, of our time together, too. All right, Shane. So, you know, I kind of like that last point you made about uh, the recruiting, but, you know, I think the truth of the matter is, and I don't think this is any kind of bold claim or anything, but Missouri, for as well as they're going to do in recruiting, yeah, they're never going to be more talented than Georgia or Florida 
in Tennessee when it's riding high. You know what I mean? Right. So, so they need a coach like this that can that is elite at X's and O's, and that's what Eli Drinkowitz seems to be. He's going to call the plays himself. He's going to be his own offensive coordinator. And if he can outsmart some of those defenses, then Missouri is going to have success. And, I, you know, I'm not saying the talent gap is, like, massive or anything. I mean, hell, Missouri, those schools I just named, Missouri's dominated Florida at times. They've dominated Tennessee. They've mm-hmm. they fared fairly well against Georgia at times. I don't I don't think their record is, is fantastic against the Bulldogs or anything. But they've held their own, and I, this is what they need. They need an X's and O's guy that can make up that gap where there would be a talent issue and maybe they can win a couple SEC East. Hell, that's the goal here, according to Drinkowitz. I like that too. He's not, you know, he's not trying to be relevant. He's trying to win the whole damn thing. Yeah. No, I like that. I And I think they have the opportunity. They got to come out firing. You know, a lot of people forgot about Mizzou this year. And it sucks because of the talent that they did have. And I, I think they just need to hit the ground running next year. And I think Coach will have them ready. Um, you know, he's got, he's still got some holes he needs to fix and patch up. And we got, like I said, we got to see who he hires, but, um, I just, I don't know the, the offense, the schemes that I've seen, it's, it's not in day. It's going to be not in day from last year. And, uh, this guy's going to be ready, dude. Like you said, there's, he's probably got a million sticky notes in his office right now all over the wall. <laughs> you know, it's like memento in there. <laughs> All right, Shane, let's jump on down to Columbia, South Carolina, where Mike Bobo, it's official, Shane, announced as the offensive coordinator there for the Gamecocks. We kind of hit on this on the last one. We both really like this hire. Two-year deal is going to make over a million dollars per year in Columbia. They've also announced a raise for the running backs coach, Thomas Brown, who is a very popular coach down there, and he's worked with Bobo, as has Brian McClendon, who was the offensive coordinator last year, and I guess now he's going to be the receivers coach again. So it's I like the fact that they're bringing in a coordinator that is already going to have some continuity with the offensive staff in place. That could be huge. But it's also worth noting Shane Muschamp has lowered his buyout and declined a raise. He's scheduled to get an annual raise. He's declined that option, obviously because uh, the South Carolina, you know, not having a great year. But I, I also think, from what I understand, he deflected some of that money so that it could go to his running backs coach, Thomas Brown. So thoughts on all that, Shane? I mean, Bobo, quarterback coach, offensive coordinator, play caller, South Carolina, all things considered, I think that's about as best as, as, best as they could do. Uh, hell, there was, there was speculation Georgia – trying to burn yeah. up Bobo's phone. So you're potentially stealing one away from one of your key rivals there. And Muschamp seems like he's kind of betting on himself moving forward here. Dude, this is a fantastic hire, man. I, I, I really do. I do think this is a great hire. And um, I'm with you. I thought Georgia was going to sneak in and, and get this. And uh, credit Muschamp. And, and the st- I mean, they, they had an opportunity to lower his buyout, to not get – I mean – there was a lot of stuff going on these last few days to make this deal go down. And mm-hmm. uh, I think this is a, like I said, an A-plus hire for Muschamp. And how about this, Shane? So they're not even going to introduce Mike Bobo until next week. 
because they want to spend the entire time recruiting. So I love that. <laughs> I mean, <Yeah. laughs> that's what you got to do. I'm telling you, this window is so crucial. They don't even got time to answer questions. They got to get on the road recruiting. So I love to see that. Uh, sticking here with the Gamecock chain, Jake Bentley made it official. I think we kind of hit on this before when we he announced he was leaving, but he is going to Utah. He's going to join up with uh, former Vanderbilt offensive coordinator Andy Ludwig. So hmm. that was kind of an interesting, his last year in Utah. And uh, other thing here, the tight end, Kyle Markway announced he is declaring early for the NFL draft. I thought that was a little bit of a surprise, but uh, I'm sure Markway, he kind of you know, reached out to the NFL and got a good grade or whatever, decided it was time to go. But uh, that's uh, thoughts on those moves, Shane. Let me ask you, when you declare for the draft, is it is it done? I mean, do you think maybe they could start accepting money or get an agent or something like that? Do you think once they commit that, you know, there's no – I've never heard anybody saying, yeah, I'm going to the draft, and then all of a sudden they're, they're not. Mm-hmm. You know, because I was thinking about the same thing with Sam and uh, over there trying to get uh, – what's his name? The tight end come back. You know, um, not saying that it could happen, but if he could get uh, a a Grady back, I thought that would be a huge get. But Mm -hmm. is that possible? I think it is, as long as you don't hire an agent. Like you said, don't accept money or endorsements. Okay. Well, you know, they probably all do. Because once (laughs) you do, you know what I'm saying? Once you do, then these agents are slick, buddy. You know, even Uh if it's 20 bucks, then you're on the hook, you know? So, (laughs) all right. Now I was just wondering, I thought that one was kind of crazy. Um, I thought he'd come back, but you know, like you said, if he got a good grade and he thinks he can make that money, then I can't blame him. Mm -hmm. All right, Shane, let's kick it down to Auburn where we had some coordinator movement here. No, thankfully not Kevin Steele. He's still in place there. Auburn's outstanding defensive coordinator, but the offensive coordinator, Kenny Dillingham, who they got from Memphis, is jumping ship to join former Memphis head coach Mike Norvell down at Florida State. So hmm. re-hooking up back up with Mike Norvell. And then this was kind of the, you know, this has been rumbling, but this move doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Chad Morris, Shane, our old buddy, named offensive <laughs> coordinator down there at Auburn, and why I say it doesn't make sense, I know Gus Malzahn and Chad Morris have a relationship, but hell, I mean, Gus Malzahn's calling the plays. It's his offense. Why? I, this just doesn't make a ton of sense to me, but I guess, in a sense, maybe Gus Malzahn's throwing his friend a bone here. We've seen what's happened to you know Butch Jones when he's become a lifetime intern down there at Alabama. Maybe he just mm. didn't want that to happen to Chad Morris. Thought if he gave him, you know, a good title and he could help things out here. So I guess Chad Morris is going to be more of, uh, I think Kelly Kenny Dillingham was kind of really just the quarterback's coach. So maybe that's going to be the role Chad Morris plays here. But thoughts on uh, Chad Morris getting right back into it. And, of course, if you're an Arkansas fan, you'll love this because you don't have to pay his full buyout. <laughs> exactly. I love it, man. I absolutely love it. I, this is, I mean, things didn't work out for Morris, but. You know, this is a situation maybe like Lane where he just wasn't ready. Mm-hmm. You know, he wasn't ready for that big-time job. And, you know, if he's got to go down here, eat some at Humble Pie for a little bit and then look for his next opportunity, I'm all for that, man. You know, you got – this is this is the way it should happen, man. That's what pisses me off about Lyle Jones down there just fetching coffee for $200,000 a month. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's like – 
dude, get a job. There's there's <laughs> positions out there. You know, you don't have to have a head coach position. Take a coordinator spot or something, you know, because if he would have done it and was successful, he could have moved up. And I know we don't want to get off this one, but, you know, the thing about uh, what's his name down there with Mouse on? Morris, Morris, Chad Morris. Yeah, not Morris. What was the other one that went to Florida State? Kenny Dillingham. Yeah, I think that was a good move for him. I, I think he was. I think he got down there and realized real quick that that ceiling is real low. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, I mean, this is this is Malzahn's baby, and he ain't gonna let go of it anytime soon. And uh, so, that, so I, I guess I, that's really my question then, though. So, what is in this for Chad Morris aside from just having a job? I mean, what value is he gonna add down here? Maybe for Malzahn, maybe some recruiting ties. Um, just staying around a big time program, I think is important, you know, not going to this. I mean, he could honestly, man, Morris could have went to one of these small schools and been a head coach, you know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? But I think he needs to do kind of like lane and get around a, a big program, big time program. That's just beat the Alabama. You know what I'm saying? I mean, these guys were a, a top 10 program and, you know, learn, learn again. You know, I know it's been a while since you were at Clemson, but this is just, I don't know. I, I think he just doesn't want to let the saddle get cold. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I got you. All right, Shay. Well, let's kick it down to Athens where obviously they had, they lost their outstanding offensive line coach, Sam Pittman, obviously to Arkansas. So they filled that gap. I think they did a hell of a job here, Shane. They did it quickly. Matt Luke, former Ole Miss coach, is now the Georgia offensive line coach. Hmm. And why they had to make this move so quickly, in my mind, they've got a hell of an offensive line class committed. They don't want to lose those kids. Got to get Matt Luke in here. Got to get him some face time with these kids so that if they're going to stick, you know, they some of these kids may not have if Kirby said, you know, we got to wait and see. And uh, you know, credit Kirby for going out there, getting a guy that's very qualified, has tons of years' experience in the SEC, coaching the offensive line, played in the SEC. I think, uh, you know, Matt Luke is no Sam Pittman, as much as we like mm-hmm. Matt Luke, but because there's only one Sam Pittman. But I think he did a hell of a job here replacing him and replacing him quickly with a, with a guy they can count on. Absolutely, man. This is a good, quick hire, man. And, uh, let me ask you on this situation. Um, have they? Have you heard anybody leaving? Because I know that Rat, uh, Ratledge kid was uh, moving around a little bit. I know you got in trouble by the NCAA, but has <laughs> have you got cleared for that? I'm not uh, by NCAA bylaws. I'm not allowed to comment on that recruitment at this time, Shade. But uh, <laughs> let's just say it's going to be a crazy weekend. Can you really not comment on it? All right, let's kick it down to Lexington, Shane, where Lynn Bowden announced he's going to declare early for the NFL draft, but he will play in the bowl game. He's he's asked the Kentucky fans to come out support the squad here for the Belk Bowl. You know, I, this was obviously the expected move, but I I like the way Lynn Bowden kind of handed it in the classy fashion. He's not going to be a distraction. He's going to finish on the field with his teammates, and uh, you know, if you're a Wildcat fan, this is what you want. I think, you know, obviously, well, I mean, obviously you want players like Lynn Bowden to return if possible, but at the same time, hell, I think it's better for Kentucky these days to show these recruits. I mean, this is back-to-back years. You got Benny Snell, Josh Allen, Lynn Bowden, you know, come to Kentucky, be a damn All-American, get out early, go to the NFL. 
Yeah. That's what these other schools are selling. Kentucky's now been able to sell it for a couple years in a row. Uh, so I, you know, this is just another in in a big step I think for Mark Stoops and company to show uh, that you know they can take a guy that uh, uh, take a guy like this and get him to the NFL quickly and and just make him a star on his way there. Absolutely, man. No, I mean he's he's. I mean this prime time, man. I I, I obviously would love to see him come back. And, and see what he could do with this offense, especially with, with Terry back and being healthy. And uh, they, I mean, man, this t- this team could be scary, scary good next year. And but on the flip side of that coin, man, he took a lot of hits this year, you know. And I'm not saying that he's going to do that next year. Obviously, he's going to, you know, be able to be a little bit more conservative if he were to come back. But uh, he made it through the season healthy, and that's crazy, you know. I mean, he he got banged up a little bit along the way, but what he showed the the grit and just the promise on the next level. I mean, that's that's going to sp- speak volumes. I mean, when you're looking at a a couple of receivers and then Lynn sitting there, and maybe he doesn't have the tangibles some of these other guys do, but you know that toughness. Uh, is is hard to judge and something that you were able to watch Lynn do last year makes you want him on your team you know oh without a doubt all right Shane last thing I got here we can hit on these pretty quick but uh, the point spreads are out for all the bowl games Shane so I'm just going to roll down these and obviously we don't cover the other teams so we wouldn't be very good at guessing the lines here but (laughs) I'm going to favor SEC on every one of them (laughs) Let me just, uh, we'll run down these lines. You just tell me if you think uh, the line should be moved one way or another, all right? Okay. So LSU will start in the playoff game favored against Oklahoma in the Peach Bowl by 11.5 points. Jeez. Would you go more or less on that one? A lot more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How about That's the lock? <laughs> <laughs> We're starting early. We're starting early with the lock. Florida versus Virginia in the Orange Bowl. Gators favored by two touchdowns, 14-point spread. Thoughts on that one? Ooh, I like that. That's a good spot. Georgia versus Baylor in the Sugar Bowl. The Bulldogs favored by eight. Ting. Eighteen. <laughs> That's where it should be. <laughs> Alabama versus Michigan in the Citrus Bowl. Alabama um, favored by seven. Oh, my gosh. Seven touchdowns. <laughs> I'm going seven touchdowns, Mike. Saban is pissed. Texas A&M versus Oklahoma State in the Texas Bowl. The Aggies favored by four and a half. Um, I, okay, Oklahoma. Uh, yeah, I'd probably go a little closer to 10. Okay. But, yeah. Two Mi- scores. Two scores. Mississippi State versus Louisville in the Music City Bowl. Mississippi State favored by three and a half. Um, no. I mean – no, this is this is going to be, I would say, 13 and a half. That's where it should be. All right. Kentucky versus Virginia Tech. Now, this is uh, Virginia Tech, the only SEC team not favored in, the, in a bowl game. Virginia Tech favored by three. Is Lynn not playing? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know he's going to the NFL, but did he say, I'm just going to skip out on this bowl game? Because that's the only way I could see Virginia Tech making this a ball game. No, I think uh, Lim Bowden is going to be the MVP of this game. Hell yeah. I'm surely he's close to breaking some sort of record. 
Auburn versus Minnesota Minnesota in the Outback Bowl. <laughs> Auburn favored by seven and a half. Uh, no, you're gonna you're gonna need more men rowing that boat, Mike. <laughs> I'm gonna say I'm gonna say fourteen points. Tennessee versus Indiana in the Gator Bowl. Tennessee favored by one and a half point. One and a half. Jeez Louise. <laughs> uh, no, I'm going to go way over on this one. Indiana. What do they have? Jim Irsay? Bunch of peels? <laughs> <laughs> we may want to cut that one out. <laughs> Yeah, that one, I don't know. It's not uh, – I'm not seeing much from Indiana. I think they've got a good offense, but that's – I don't know. That's that's interesting good, to me. They used to have a good drag strip. I went up there and watched drag racing once. That was pretty cool. I'll I tell s- you what, there's going to be a ton of balls down there for Jacksonville, though. I think, uh, I think they're going to have a major home field advantage for this one. Absolutely, man. I'm looking forward to that one. All right, Shane, so that's all I got. Wait, real quick on yes, this sir. Well, well, explain that what happened, uh, okay? I, I know that I know we've, this is a long podcast, but uh-huh. can you explain the whole? Because I I missed it. I was I was tied up at work. I did not. Or wait, when was this? It was Sunday. Oh, I got you. The bowl shenanigans. Yeah, yeah. What's what's going to happen here? Well, apparently Tennessee said it was all right, or that they favored going to the Music City Bowl. So. Multiple people reported Music City Bowl, Tennessee, headed to Nashville, going to play in-state. And that was going to send Mississippi State to the Belk Bowl in Charlotte. And Kentucky was going to go down to the Gator Bowl in Jacksonville. So everyone had that set. That's what was looking like was going to happen. So Tennessee came out and said, yeah, we want, out of all these three, Uh we want Music City. Correct. Okay, this is Phil Fulmer, or was this just the University of Tennessee? Uh, I mean, I think it's Fulmer. I think it's, uh, you know, I think it's mainly Fulmer and the, and the coaches staff and the players, Okay, you know, they all, okay. they all kind of decide. And the okay. reason they get to, you know, a lot of times you don't get to just, you don't, you don't get to just decide what game you're going to go to, but they, from what my understanding, because they had beaten Mississippi state and Kentucky, they held some kind of tiebreaker where they got to essentially pick here and okay. then at the last minute i guess they flexed man i know they for flexed. a fact that a lot of the players wanted to go to <laughs> they wanted like a vacation you know what i mean i mean and who wouldn't oh okay uh, so i live here in nashville it's damn snowing outside right now this is <laughs> not that lovely of a place to be on new year's uh so okay you want to go down to jacksonville you want to go to the gator bowl that was a last minute decision and that Good. booted kentucky out from oh, the Gator Bowl to the Belk Bowl. But I think that really helped Mississippi State out because they did not want to go to Charlotte. That's a that's a hell of a trip. They did not want to make that the fans. You know what I'm talking Right. Going to Music City, going to Nashville. I just bashed it. Come on up. We'll, we'll grab drinks here. <laughs> it is a nice town. It's That's a driving distance of Mississippi, obviously. So, I think it worked out well for Mississippi State, worked out well for Tennessee, unless, of course, you're a resident and you just live nearby like I do. <laughs> but <laughs> out, outside of that, uh, I think it's going to work out because you're going to get a New Year's down in uh, on the beach. And the one the one that's really kind of 
SOL here is Kentucky that got booted down to now Charlotte, the Belk Bowl. This is going to be the final Belk Bowl. Kentucky, Virginia Tech. That's that's a hell of a matchup here, <laughs> yes. but it sucks to. I mean, they, there's probably people that bought tickets damn to the Gator Bowl, and then the last minute they had to switch to yeah. the Belk Bowl. I heard, a, I heard there's a few people that already had tickets and hotels and all that stuff lined up. And I feel yeah. bad for those people, Shane, but. Uh, Over just you've... did the flex, man. He just <laughs> said, you know what? These boys won't see some sun, so we're going to send down the Sunshine State. <laughs> Never buy anything until it's official. Oh. That would be my advice to everyone out there listening. But that's yeah, so right. that's how that all went down. And uh, it was a wild time. And hell, UT got all pissed off. They're, one of their sports information people sent out an angry tweet saying, you know, you shouldn't report things and yada, yada, yada. And. It was, it was a wild one. All right. So it's all settled then. Yes, sir. Anything else before we hop off here? No, no. That was it right there. This is a long one, and uh, we'll get into some more tomorrow. Absolutely, Shane. So uh, you made it this far. If you wouldn't mind just going a step further, giving us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, that really, really helps the show out. Uh, that's going to do it. Thanks for joining me, Shane. As always, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next one. All right, see you guys. Go balls. To Florida. <laughs>